We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Officially back, it is the NFL Pick Six show here at Rotor Grinders. Two of the absolute best in the business. You got John Daigle, four for four, Bet Spurts, Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis. Boys, it's been way, way too long. I've enjoyed your content in the offseason, ready to talk some NFL DFS week one. I know I'm sure all your best ball takes were perfect. Uh, you guys, you're all you're all gonna win the million dollars. Congratulations on that. Cannot wait to talk uh, NFL week one. John, welcome to the show. It has been too long. And last time we all saw each other, which we did get a chance to over the Super Bowl weekend, I, of course, got food poisoning. And the last time I got food poisoning was also at the Better Collective Rotor Grinders Super Bowl party. So here we are. Uh, maybe this year, upcoming, I will, one, get to annoy Dan again. But more importantly, I will stay for the whole time. Well, again, this came up pre-show, but I'm going to bring it back again. I don't know if you were in the room, John, but uh, just be thankful. Uh, I'm glad you're feeling better and be thankful you are not on a plane because things can go horribly wrong when you have food poisoning on a plane. I've uh, I've, ser- I've seen recently as well. Uh, bringing in Rich. Rich did not have food poisoning during the uh, Super Bowl week. We enjoyed uh, we had a good time hanging out. That was good times for sure. Hopefully you read it back once again this season. But that is really, really far away. It's just week one. Rich, welcome. We're talking talking about the end of the year. This is the start of the year. We're already looking forward to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking ahead. I'm trying to get there. <laughs> Dina, I'm curious. Uh, what, what piece of content of mine that, that I wrote was your favorite this summer? <laughs> I, no, no. I, I heard you on a, a podcast. Uh, <laughs> so nothing that you've written. I'm not going to read. I'm going to listen. Okay, I, I, I digest information much better. I don't want to put audibly. you on the spot, but I had a feeling. Yeah. Also, to no. be fair, no one reads, Dean, so that's okay. No one reads I heard anymore. you on the uh, Underdog podcast, Rich. I think I heard John in there, too. I think I, I think I've heard both you guys there. I know you're yeah. they're all over the place. But, uh, no, I, I wouldn't just say that. <laughs> I, I, I was just giving it. you a hard time. Just giving you a hard time. It's week one, Dean. I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> it's been a while, for sure. Uh, super excited. If this is your first time here, by the way, if your first time checking out the Pick 6 show, where have you been? I don't know. Uh, kindly hit that like button. Do subscribe. Turn on those notifications. Hit all the buttons. Do all the things. 
Why is it called the NFL Pick 6 Show? Well, we focus on three games. That's one, two, and three. Three main games on the main slate. We're not talking about Detroit, Kansas City, or Dallas and the Giants, Buffalo and the Jets. We're talking about the main slate. And after we talk about the three main games, we're going to run it back, give our fair plays, position by position, quarterback, receiver, uh, running back. And I guess, I suppose, we are contractually obligated to mention tight ends as well. As always, John, your de facto role, it's your job. You pick the three games. Um, you were struggling right at the gate, man. I guess we got the, we have three officially locked in. Uh, batting first, leading off Cincinnati at Cleveland. Cincinnati about a two and a half point favorite going into Cleveland. Um, yeah, where do you want to start in that game? Dealer's choice, the Cincinnati side or the Cleveland side? I'll take the Cleveland because that's where I think the slate is kind of highlighted here. One, I struggled with the slate because we we'll talk about it when we get to positional plays, but I think we kind of lost the Seahawks Rams game. Uh, whenever Cooper Cup was officially ruled out, it was leaning that way. But two, I like it when lower rostered plays, not to say this game is going overlooked entirely, but over rostered plays, when they can hit, they have ceiling outcomes that can take down the slate, which I think both these offenses are. And more importantly, honed in target trees. Like we'll talk about Dolphins chargers. And if you get the Dolphins right, the ball only goes to two different players. That's pretty easy. You double stack Tua, it'll get there. If he hits Deshaun Watson or Deshaun Watson, and the Browns, I think it's somewhat similar. Like maybe it's Nick Chubb. We'll talk about that in a bit, who gets there. But for Sean Watson, I kind of think it's just easy to ignore what happened last year and assume a bullish bounce back is coming. Like not only were the career averages last season and his six starts with the Browns completely wonky and off compared to his career average with the Texans. 8.3 yards per attempt with Houston, six and a half yards per attempt with the Browns. A career low 4.1% touchdown rate with Cleveland. And then also the first time in Watson's career, he averaged less than 22 fantasy points per game. And he averaged 14.3, just significantly off. Not to mention that at least we have a floor here. Not that we're going for floors in fantasy, but he did average six carries per game in those six starts. Eighth most among all quarterbacks with 3.9 rushing points added weekly. So if it all hits... I think like Deshaun Watson is a ceiling player, as he showed us in Houston, to get us across here in a slate where we have tons of quarterbacks to spend up for. Rich, are you buying a bounce back for Watson? I know you never really know what the beats, but the beats are uh, collectively saying it's been kind of ugly for him. And you never really know what's useful, what's not. Like 80% of it is just nonsense and garbage, and 20%, I suppose, can't be actionable. Not sure what is what. Uh, but are you buying a bounce back for Watson? I know he can't be much worse than he was last season. I I've kind of got one foot in one foot out. I see the path to it. It's one of these things like the offense that he ran in Houston. I think there's definitely some calibration and we've seen so far in the preseason It's a small sample, but Kevin's fancy's crying, trying to adjust more of what he wants to do to what Deshaun Watson wants to do. You know, when Houston, you know, he was basically exclusively in shotgun. They ran a lot of open stuff. It was a lot of Deshaun Watson just kind of playing football and that's not really what the Kevin Spansky offense is. Uh, a lot more under center stuff, a lot more play action. And Watson really struggled with that the back half of last year. And, you know, the offensive line was banged up. They played two games in, like, really shitty weather as well. There's just, like, a lot that happened, right? It's, it's like, do we take this Deshaun Watson sample from the first four years of his career versus this, you know, five-game sample uh under unique circumstances so it's pretty interesting uh that that outcome i love that this game choice though because i think from a tournament perspective this is one of those games like you onslaught and if you get it right uh you're cooking and if not it's just tournament play who gives a shit uh like it, it's and that's kind of what i like about it because this game has 
a real path to let down and a real path to, to pop, right? Like, and I feel like that way about the other, a couple of the other games we chose too. And that's what makes it fun. Um, but yeah, w- Watson is, is pretty interesting. I've got like one foot in one foot out. I don't really have a strong lean either side. I think the front half of the schedule is going to tell us a lot because they play a lot of pretty good teams to open the year. We have a uh, ready-made pairings on that Cleveland side, rich uh, Cooper is five, eight on DK, which seems really reasonable. Uh, more is just three, eight as well. Obviously week one, the site's kind of like the prices are sort of uh, friendly to those, you know, dipping into the DFS water. So the cap is not very tight. So you're going to find a lot of value plays, but uh, amongst those two, I guess we can throw in Joko in there as well. He's another guy that's getting some positive uh, stuff out of camp. Who's mm-hmm. your favorite uh, pairing for Watson? Yeah, I think you start with Njoku in this particular game, just the way it matches up, uh, you know, and, you know, we're, we're going back and we're trying to look at some stuff from last year, trying to see some things are sticky. If they're not, week one's always kind of tricky. But, you know, you look at Njoku, he led the team in red zone targets when Deshaun Watson took over. Uh, the Bengals were 27th in receptions allowed per game to tight ends. The one game that, you know, Njoku did face the Bengals with Watson last year. I mean, he had nine targets uh, and a touchdown in that game. I think he's the guy that stands out the most. Elijah Moore, I'm going to need some convincing. Outside of him being 3-8, like he's he only played in three wide receiver sets. They're talking about using him more as like a unique player, like out of the backfield. And anytime we hear that stuff, people get excited. I start to get red flags. I'm like, all right, so they've got to create stuff for this guy. Like how much of that is getting play called? Is he, isn't he just going to play natural receiver? Donovan Peoples-Jones I still think is going to be like a, the two wide receiver set guy. So how many, how many targets are available in this offense? And like if Watson doesn't fully bounce back, how many guys get supported? I, on a slate that's just there's so many good plays, I have a hard time getting to Elijah Moore, even at 3-8. Like I just have a real hard time. I kind of need to see it a little bit because uh, I just don't think he's going to play a ton. Uh, and I don't think he's going to play enough, right? The Browns went, they played more three wide receiver stuff with Deshaun Watson last year, but it was still 20th in the NFL. Um, I, I'm going to need, maybe John could talk me to some Elijah Moore. No, that's the point. Like, look at the screen right now, Rich. And I was going to guess my early numbers. I have Elijah Moore checking in at 19% rostered. And of course, Dean is showing the model right now on the screen for everyone. It's 19%. And like, Imagine if we can then pivot instead to Amari Cooper and David Njoku if we're double stacking Watson. That's also why I love Njoku because it's more of a game theory perspective that I don't have to play more at 3,800 and I can instead go to some of those 3K wide receivers we'll talk about at the end. Because yes, it's week one. Pricing, as always, is soft since DraftKings and FanDuel dropped the slates on us last month. So I'm willing to eat more condensed ownership in week one for sure just because the best plays are gravitating and getting condensed for that reason. But at the same time, if we can easily just say, like, we don't think Elijah Moore is in three wide sets or or in two wide sets, and we also think someone else is soaking up the most important targets, the red zone and end zone targets, and Cooper and David Njoku, I think it's just a really easy pivot to get off of him. Yeah, I'm hearing that Moore is bad chalk. And, like, I don't like speaking too much ownership on a Wednesday night. Obviously, this stuff changes. The slate is Mm -hmm. fluid, but he does project. I ran a bunch of optimals pre-show, and he was landing in Elijah Moore that is a, a bunch of optimals. And Maybe he's just somebody to get away from in tournaments, possibly a cash game play. John, uh, how about Chuck? Let know, me ask Hunt you, Dean, in, in week one, yeah. how much do you trust like the optimals like versus like uh, some of the stuff you want to do? Because like, what, how much do you stock week one projections? Yeah, uh, less so than week five and week 10, right? I always give like the John Snow speech, right? We all think we know. We, we, we know nothing, right? We, we, we do our best. We follow every single beat. We, we, we read, read every single tweet out there, but we don't know until they start playing. And I would imagine 
uh, this is like the best week to take advantage of a variance because people have their opinions already made and formed the last mm -hmm. three, four or five months. And that, that's it until they see something new. And then they'll have brand new opinions in week two. And week two is a great reaction, right? We can pivot there and we get there. But yeah, you're supposed to uh, go against the optimals in tournaments, I think. Uh, more so in week one than you would in week 10. That, that, that's my general read. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to say we don't know anything here. Like we've yeah. got assumptions and we've got like some North Star stuff to kind of follow. Uh, but yeah, I feel like when you're looking at like a, a projection, for, especially in a situation like this, this Cleveland one, I think it's highly volatile, right? Like we don't know how many, you want it. It's a team that doesn't, hasn't thrown a lot under Kevin Spansky, right? And then it's a team that hasn't played a lot of three wide receiver stuff. So like how much can we really project, right? Like even if we're thinking it's going to go up, it's still kind of a gray area. Uh, no hunt. Are they going to throw the ball to Chubb a little bit more this year, John? Terrific question. So we're all trying to figure out. Uh, Chubb, of course, <laughs> hasn't recorded a double-digit target share at all at any point in his career. But also now we don't have Kareem Hunt and his perceived backup that they were drum-beating to get more touches, Jerome Ford, has been banged up for practically the entire offseason. Uh, they did trade for Pierre Strong, who can maybe beat out Jerome Ford. But either way, those are the backups we're talking about. Rich also hinted at the offensive line um, last year, dead last in the NFL in yards before contact per attempt because also the weather and they played the league's toughest schedule of opposing defenses. So there were just a lot of reasons why everyone was bad on offense for the Browns last year. But we know Nick Chubb, 5.6 yards per carry from 11 personnel for his career, including seven yards per carry from three wide sets last year. And that's what the Browns did last season was increase their rate from 11 personnel, 17th, which is Kobe Brissett. Deshaun Watson gets under center. They were top 10, 10th overall in those last six games. So even if they're spread out, Nick Chubb does seem like more of either a run back with Joe Burrow doubles or just a player we get on in general instead of Sean Watson, if you don't have faith in the passing game and want to still pivot off Elijah Moore. Unless you got anything to add there, Rich, by all means, go for it. Otherwise, jump on over to Cincinnati. Uh, Burrow just announced that he's going to start. I guess he's fine with that calf. Uh, another issue there, they lost their backup running back, Piron, now in Denver. So not much going on behind Mixon. Certainly he could be a workhorse this, uh, this week. And then, you know, Chase. Chase is one of the top receivers on the slate every single week. Your thoughts as far as the Bengals, Rich? Yeah, this is this one's pretty interesting on this side. I mean, Joe Burrow hasn't been a QB1 against the Browns in any of his past three starts. Last year was the QB22, the QB13, and that was a Browns defense that was by far objectively worse on paper and fired their defensive coordinator because they weren't good defensively. Uh, in those two games, only threw for 232 and 239 yards. He threw for under seven yards for pass attempt against the Browns. Now the Browns bring in Jim Schwartz. Uh, they add to Darius Smith. They add some defensive tackles. They're going to get rid of get rid of that wide nine split. Uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, Jim Schwartz actually was around coaching in 2020 and faced Joe Burrow. Obviously, you know, this is a, a one sample start when Burrow was a rookie, but Burrow did throw for 300 yards in that game because Jim Schwartz is historically has been an aggressive head coach, which would be counter of where the current defensive meta is in, in the current NFL and what teams do against the Bengals. Nobody blitzes Joe Burrow. Um, and nobody plays man coverage against Joe Burrow. Uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see how Jim Schwartz kind of calibrates, you know, what he did in the NFL, his last go round, uh, to what the NFL is right now. Denzel Ward's also in concussion protocol. We'll keep an eye on that to the rest of this week, um, to see if he's available. Cause that could open up some things, you know, for Jamar Chase. Not like we're scared of, of Denzel Ward, but obviously if Denzel Ward's not playing, it 
it hugely helps. But nobody blitz Joe Burrow. He was blitz the league low 15.6% of the time last year. Uh, when teams did blitz him, 13 and a half yards per completion, 12.9% touchdown rate, uh, <laughs> league high. So we'll see what Jim Schwartz kind of learned. But uh, it's pretty interesting when you kind of look at how Burrow has played against this Browns team. They've given him fits and with far less talent and a far worse coaching staff. John, Bengals? I think Rich pretty much summed up the passing attack there. And more importantly, as much as we want to say, like Hayden Hurst may not have mattered for this offense, before he suffered that ankle injury in week 13, he was averaging five and a half targets per game. And now we have 24-year-old Irv Smith. Um, I've heard Evan Silva say the joke is his knee is 34 years old, actually. So we think the target tree is just getting more concerted which makes Burrow doubles really interesting between Chase and T. Higgins. When they were on the field together, Jamar Chase averaged a 27% target share to T. Higgins 21%. And then whenever T. Higgins returned from his injury to close out the year, in those last seven games together, Chase's target share skyrocketed even more, 29.9% and 13.5 targets per game. So either way, I think you're safe. But just the fact that we're taking out like an every-down tight end like Hayden Hurst and there are fewer places to go with those targets, again, when you get an offense right, it makes it so much more better for tournaments where we can just whittle down the target tree, and that's kind of what this is. I don't want to well actually you. I, I had to Google. I couldn't believe Smith was 24. He's 25, but still. Oh, sorry. I thought he was like 30. I couldn't his knee, believe his knees that. are 30. <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke, yeah. He turned 25 August 9th. So he just, yeah, uh, so he just turned 25. All right. Um, Rich, you're starting to make a stack as far as this game. What, what is a – you know, which quarterback you're going with? What's your run back if you're making a stack for this game? Yeah, I think if you're looking for just to play like the game script side, you would kind of lean towards Browns having to throw. I mean, they, they are underdogs, but they are short home underdogs. And short home underdogs that are in divisional matchups have historically been really good bets early in the season. So the Browns are definitely a live dog in this game too. Uh, you would think though, if they are a, a live dog, that it is off of the strength of Nick Chubb, right? Like, you know, they're, they're able to establish Nick Chubb. They're just running down the Bengals' throat. Like, but that happened once last year, and then the second game it didn't. You know, the second game, uh, Nick Chubb, I think, ran 14 times for 34 yards. Uh, so, like, it, it is kind of volatile. But I think you would start there, uh, and then you'd be looking at maybe, like, a chase spring back. We didn't even talk about Joe Mixon either. Like, yeah, he's in, like, kind of a very similar position as Nick Chubb, right? Because here you have two guys. Because Mixon actually had career highs last year receiving – and still didn't play any passing down and distance stuff. He ran 18 total pass routes on third down last year. Uh, the year before, he only ran 27 pass routes on third downs. Uh, that theoretically could be open this year, but it, what if they play Travion Williams? What if it's still the same thing that's roadblocked? Uh, these guys all take a step of faith. We don't know how much they're going to play, but he's kind of in the the mix too here. Uh, you know, no pun intended, but he he was god awful last year. I mean, he 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 rushed for 100 yards in just two games last year. Uh, he he faced the highest rate of light boxes in the NFL. And in despite that, averaged 3.9 yards per carry against light boxes. It was 36th in the NFL. It's 39th in yards uh, before contact, before carry. Just 8.4% of his runs over 10 or more yards. That was 34th in the NFL. So, I mean, he takes a step of faith because he was really bad last year in really favorable conditions. And he knows this. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it's good for tournament purposes because I think he's going fairly overlooked in the slate. It seems like ownership's getting condensed, at least on Wednesday, around four or five different running backs in particular. So Mixon just kind of falls in line, I think with Chubb too, to where everyone's just sort of missing them on the slate. 
we have uh, currently Jamal Williams as the most popular running back. Uh, and that's under the assumption yeah. that, uh, oh, man, I can't remember. The, I'm losing the guy's name. It's going to be Andrew Miller. There you go. Uh, Miller, obviously, no Kamara. Uh, we like Deion Jackson, it appears, as, as a super cheapie. We'll talk about that in a second. Kenny Walker, uh, CMC, Madison. It, I'm taking a while. I'm trying to see where we actually have um, where we actually have Mixon. I think he's single digit. Yeah, 6 7%. Uh, on a Wednesday night, again, this stuff is fluid. It's uh, open to changing, but uh, worth noting for tournaments. You're going to say, John? No, I was going to agree. Um, I was going to guess around six, seven percent, which is a great percentage to play him at, especially if we are just taking on that risk and ambiguity that he plays on passing downs all of a sudden. Yeah, I think whatever just, quarterback you play, you play the opposite running back, and that's how you create your, you basically your your stacks here. If you, you can play it both ways, if you want. Let's move on to game number two. Game number two, uh, John, we got Jacksonville, the Jags at the Colts. The Colts are, what, five-point dogs here at home. 45-and-a-half is the total. It's a mess there in Indianapolis. It's a mess as far as their, uh, their running back room. Uh, Jacksonville, everybody's super excited about Calvin Ridley coming back. Uh, start wherever you want to start as far as Jacksonville and Indy. Well, we haven't seen this edition of the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence offense. Last year, of course, no Calvin Ridley. I know everyone is overreacting to Calvin Ridley's back shoulder long catch in the preseason. But nonetheless, like Calvin Ridley's the player who can unlock this offense. Trevor Lawrence was 20th and pass rate on targets 20 yards deep last year. Just basically didn't go deep at all. And now we have Calvin Ridley, who the last time we saw him play, led the league, at least in that stint that he was in for a month and a half, in targets 20 yards deep. He's the guy that gets open over the top. I imagine we see a career-high rate in 11 personnel and three wide sets for this offense. So given his rushing attempts per game, also Lawrence that increased uh, year over year from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson, I do think Trevor Lawrence is quietly like a ceiling quarterback in this game. Also, it's one where the t total and team totals sneak keep on sneaking up as if like we're expecting the Colts to be able to bounce back. So something that just stands out to me. Are we also going to see, we talked about three wide receiver sets, two wide receiver sets where like, you know, similar to Cleveland where DPJ might be in front of more. Uh, I've seen rumors. I've seen talks of Zay Jones. Is he ahead of Christian Kirk? Do we know that just yet, John? Is that just something we got to wait and see? I don't, I don't think so. And Kirk will probably be under-rostered if you're playing Trevor Lawrence anyhow. Everyone will naturally gravitate to Calvin Ridley, assuming the same ceiling from two years ago. But I still don't mind Zay Jones because, remember, they had bizarro seasons last year. Like, Christian Kirk was the one who opened up with 25.9% of the team's targets before the bye in Week 10, and Zay Jones had 21.6 targets. And then when they returned from their bye, Zay Jones was a ceiling player. Zay Jones led Christian Kirk in targets and a 25% target share to Kirk's 22.7%. That's when Zay Jones also ended lives in best ball and season-long leagues because he had four top eight finishes over that second-half stretch, including that massive blow-up game in Week 17. So, yeah, I mean, they're both good plays, I think, in this, in this contest. But overall, like, Zay can get there. I just really what we're asking ourselves is a 5% ownership difference – between like a 6% Christian Kirk and 1% Zay Jones, is that what we're really trying to get? Is that really going to give us the edge over the field? What do you have here as far as the Jags, Rich? Yeah, this one, this one's pretty interesting. I mean, because you look at, you know, what the Colts have done. Obviously, they, you know, get Shane Sykin, they bring him in. But Shane Sykin kept Gus Bradley. 
uh, as a defensive coordinator. And when you look at when these teams, you know, hooked up last year, Trevor Lawrence was awesome. He completed 45 of 52 passes, but he averages five and a half air yards per attempt. The Colts played zone coverage 81% of the time. It was their highest rate versus any team uh, that they played last year. They were in cover three for 59% of their plays, their highest of any uh, rate in any team. And Jacksonville only dropped back the pass on 45% of their plays against the Colts last year, by far their lowest rate. Uh, versus any team last year it was also the second lowest rate anyone threw the ball against the Colts last year only outside of the Tennessee Titans who did not try to throw the football again did they blow them out is that against anyone no they lost one of the games and uh they did win the other one but they actually lost one of the games to the Colts okay Uh, but I think that's interesting because, uh, you know, does Calvin Ridley increase the air yardage and then what if what if just the Colts don't punch back right like replacing a lot of faith in Anthony Richardson in his first career start, uh, which I think definitely takes a leap of faith here. To me, the Jaguar that stands out to me is Travis Etienne, Uh, especially when you look at the people want to be excited about this passing game. But what if it's a game that the Jaguars control? There's a lot of fear that Travis Etienne was going to give up a lot of ground to take Big Z. We did not see that in the preseason. Uh, you know, with Trevor Lawrence in the game, and granted it's a small sample, but like ETN played 67% of the snaps, 65% of the team rushing attempts, 63% of the dropbacks, even cashed in a goal line carry, which he couldn't do last year. If this is a game where the Jaguars control game script, you know, Travis Etienne, I think, is a great leverage play off of that Jaguar passing game. Now, the downer for Travis Etienne is you can't play him really in cash despite that because, once again, the preseason, you have a single target. Uh, didn't catch more than three passes in a game last year. He ran 314 pa- pass routes last year, which was 12th, uh, but was 51st among 69 running backs uh, in target share uh, per route run. So I think I think he's more of a leverage tournament play, but I think when you look at – if you believe the Jaguars win this game and it's not a close game, then Travis Etienne has to be on your leverage board. We're seeing about 8% or so currently. Again, on a Wednesday night, grain of salt, yada, yada, but – He's probably not going to be terribly heavily owned, and you like him in that dome as well. Uh, John, what do you have as far as ETN? Feel free to jump over to the Colts. And Richardson's really, really cheap, and he's got legs. Um, I, he's got a great mixtape t- mix from Florida. I'm not a big college football guy, but I know he's uh, expected to struggle a fair bit. This is expected to be one of the worst teams in offense. Um, maybe you play him naked. You can certainly pair him with a guy like Pittman. Uh, Pierce Downs, that's kind of ambitious. I suppose you can do that as well. But, uh, yeah, your final thoughts as far as the Jags and then jump over to the Colts. Naked would probably be the way to go here since you're really just depending on his rushing upside. And I think the argument against him in DFS is do we need it since this is a week, again, with everything released last month, that pricing is so soft you can kind of just go wherever you want to go anyways. So we may not need to save the salary. But we do know what he's going to do. Like at his last two years in Florida, 8.1 carries per game, 55 and a half rushing yards for 12 rushing touchdowns. The reports at a camp are that Shane Steichen, who has also ran RPOs and back-to-back seasons at a top-two rate with the Eagles and Jalen Hurts, somewhat of the same mold, an elite athlete who they really just need to develop as passing through the air. Um, The reports are Steichen has been pulling from high school and collegiate playbooks. Like, we may even get the annexation of Puerto Rico in this game. We have no idea (laughs) what's coming from Indianapolis. So I think my argument is more of a 12 to 15 carry running back or 12 to 15 carry quarterback. That's what we're trying to talk here. And then running it back with like a Travis Etienne as leverage or maybe your favorite Jaguars receiver, whether or not it's Calvin Ridley. 
I think that's kind of the argument here, just because it's so hard to depend on anything else. Uh, even if we look at their backfield, like Zach Moss right now, limited on Wednesday with that broken arm. We don't know if he's going to play. If he plays, he probably leads in touches, honestly, barring another injury. That's been the report so far that he's going to start. Uh, it was two bad coaches and Frank Reich and Jeff Saturday, but they did lean on him for touches, Jeff Saturday in particular, whenever they no longer had Jonathan Taylor when he was injured at the end of the year. But if Zach Moss is out, like, Deion Jackson is not necessarily an every down back. Like, even going back to college, Deion Jackson has now played six seasons across Duke and Indianapolis, and he hasn't reached 200 touches in any of those seasons. But last year, played on over 40% of snaps in four games and reached a double-digit target share in all four. He averaged a 15.7% target share, which would have ranked sixth among all running backs uh, extrapolated over the full season. So we know Deion Jackson, if it's just a two-headed committee with Evan Hole, can at least earn targets. Um, not necessarily that you're stacking with Anthony Richardson, but those are just kind of the two options I'm honing in on, unless Reeves, Reeves wants to sell me on Michael Pittman or Alec Pierce. I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, and I mean, you look at the Deion Jackson at the start against the Jaguars last year, and he had 10 catches. I think banking on Anthony Richardson to throw to running backs to the levels yeah. that Matt Ryan and the, guy, the Colts quarterbacks did last year, I think that's asking – quite a bit we got a pretty good tell of what we're gonna and listen anthony richardson is gonna be a player that has highs and lows he's that he was that type of quarterback in college he has not made a lot of starts um he's gonna run i actually think the opposite a lot of people call him like an upside play i think he's a traditional konami guy i think he's more of a floor guy he's gonna be more of a floor player um the, the, like I said, there'll be moments of excitement, uh, excitement and a lot of growing pains. He took 34 dropbacks in the preseason. He completed just 45% of his passes, five yards per pass attempt. That's like his passing numbers in college. I mean, he literally is a third percentile prospect from passing pr production. He takes a, a big step of faith there. Um, but he also did run seven times for 45 yards, and he had uh, 28 scramble yards, which we love. Also, we got an inkling like that when he was in the game, the Colts ran the ball on 58% of plays like, you know, so like, and then 28% of the plays were no huddle, which we love. We want to see some tempo, but like, this is a team that's going to run a lot of RPO. They're going to do a lot of quarterback stuff. Um, so it, it just is, it's probably not going to be like this thing where you're going to get like this big run out of passing. And I think that's fine on FanDuel for cash. If you want to play him as a cash, cash quarterback, DraftKings takes more of a step of faith. Cause are you going to flirt with any of the bonuses? Like you could maybe flirt with the hundred yard rushing bonus, but like it's tough to just bet on getting a hundred yards from a quarterback, even for a guy like Anthony Richardson, he's not going to sniff that 300 passing. I would, I don't, I don't yeah. think we're going to get close to there. So on DraftKings, I think he's a little tougher play than he is on FanDuel. Cause you know, you get the, you could get the rushing touchdown. You sent the deal with the bonuses, but as far as like any of the, the Colts go, <laughs> and, and and also if you're playing him for the rushing bonus and like you have Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts on the same slate, like how about we just go for the rushing and passing bonuses? What about that? Yeah, not just the same slate, but a slate that like you're not really begging for salary savings. We're not at like week That's 12 where everything's kind of priced up. It's just, it's tough. Like uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if do it Richardson. I, I think that Jackson seems like kind of sort of like bad chalk. You might catch like five or six passes for 40 yards or something like that. Maybe he falls in the end zone and you feel pretty, pretty good about yourself. But I don't know. I mean, on, this slate, I, I, on this slate, I don't know how you get like, you don't, I don't know how you get to Deion Jackson, man. I, there's, there's too many plays. That That's kind of where I'm at. And there's too much good value as well. And you got to make a certain number of lineups. And is he in your pool? I suppose. But 
you know, tournament-wise, if you're making 100 lineups or 150, I don't do that necessarily. Um, we'll see what we're doing as far as week one, whatever kind of overlay maybe brewing out there. But I want to be under. I want to be under on Jackson. Yeah. And does this all go away, Rich, if Moss happens to play and it's a three-headed monster? Oh, I think, yeah, no one's going to really play him, I don't think, if, the, if Moss is active. So we don't really have to get there. Um, yeah. All right. I, you guys, I guess you could. We didn't talk about it, but I, I mean, Evan Ingram's kind of live in this game just based on the way the tight end pool is playing out this week. Uh, here we are already in week one, and it's just a savage wasteland. <laughs> it's, why, it's Luke, why Luke Musgrave chalk week is where we're at right now. Uh, yeah. I 4-7 for Ingram on, on DK. You're feeling, you're feeling pretty good about that. I, I think he's kind of a little uh, overpriced. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, we're without. I mean, he's you know, he's, no... he's 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 one hundred dollars cheaper than Tyler Higby, uh, and this is a guy that has like a he is like a true ceiling. Like he showed like true spike weeks last year. He also led the team in targets both games against the Colts because of all that zone coverage Gus Bradley played. And you okay. know, and you talk about the cover three defense, you know that that's where you're gonna get you're gonna get some of that opportunity. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I just think he's he's live if you're making stacks too. Like, don't forget about him because he was a tight end that legitimately in a in a season where tight ends did not have ceilings, he was a guy that had you know multiple twenty plus PPR games. Mm-hmm. Musgrave is two nine, and who knows what's going to be left of Green Bay when, when their game starts. And we'll talk about that uh, about Musgrave because I have takes too. Also, remember it's Wednesday. Remember we're, yes. we, Wednesday practices mean nothing, guys. Friday, Friday is the big deal, I suppose. Right, yeah. that's the one you want to Wednesday monitor. practices. I know it's week one, and it takes a while to get back in you, but like Wednesday practice. Let's not get caught up in it again. All right, uh, let's not get caught up in the muck too much on a Wednesday night. Uh, let's move on to game number three. Game three, biggest total on the board: fifteen and a half. Miami at the Chargers. Uh, Chargers three point favorites here out there in LA. I'll let you start this one, Rich. You know, pick your side. What looks more appealing to you: the Chargers or the Dolphins? A chain, by the way. You said practice means nothing, but good sign he practiced in full on a Wednesday night. Well, I mean, this is one of the games I'm looking the most forward to because I want answers from Mike McDaniel, right? (laughs) Like you you go back to last year and the Dolphins highs were so high. But then when you look at, you know, outside of the Ravens game, who they came against, you know, they flooded the Lions, they flooded the Bears, they flooded the Browns. Tua had just one other top 10 scoring week all season. And it was that Ravens game. And then you particularly go back to when these two teams hooked up and they played in that Sunday night football game. Brandon Staley ran laps around Mike McDaniel. He completely took away the middle of the field. Uh, In that game, too, it was 6 of 14 for 52 yards, uh, throwing inside the numbers. And they looked lost. In the total of the game, he was 10 of 28 passing for 145 yards of the touchdown. There was just one game last year in which a quarterback threw 20 or more passes and completed a lower rate of throws. And it was a Justin Fields game. So I want to see Mike, Mike McDaniels had to have been he's been, had to have been stewing on this game for a long time, and I want to see how he counter punches. What does he do to adjust uh, for what was kind of exposed their offense a little bit last year? So I'm really excited to see kind of what happens, but there is kind of a step of faith here. The other thing too with this game, and, and John kind of hit about it earlier, is like yeah, we know we can we can double stack Tua because the target shares that Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill had. But remember, from week three on last year, from that Ravens game on, this, both sites made it extremely hard for you to do so. They, they, it's, 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 it's hard to play Tua, Tyreek Hill, and Waddle all in the same lineup. Even in week one, where there is salary everywhere, 
it's hard to fit those guys in. Like you are paying a lot of your salary to jam in those three guys in a condition game condition where two of the three guys were outright awful last year. And Tyreek got there because he had one 60 yard touchdown and then picked up a fumble and ran at 57 yards <laughs> for a touchdown. So it, they do take a step face, but I'm friends, a football fan. One of this is one of the most exciting games for me in week one, because I want to see how Mike McDaniel kind of answers how teams countered what he did well last year. Um, and he's a guy that I think deserves like a step of faith to, to, to have some faith that he's going to adjust and make some things. I'm just real curious to see what he does. I wonder though, if it's going to include running the football a lot more and we know you can still run the football on the chargers. It's been consistent in that scheme. Uh, we talked about, you know, the last, last year with, with, with uh, you know, the, in the Brown system, Brandon Staley, they all come from like the, the same tree and the chargers once again, were a team we target running backs and, Raheem Mostert stands real out. Everything's kind of broke his way. You know, Jeff Wilson Jr. played placed on IR. Devin H. even though he's practicing, like was kind of buried in the preseason. I wouldn't be surprised if Sal- Salvan Ahmed's just the outright RB2 to start the year. So, I mean, what if it involves, you know, leaning on the run game more and kind of exploiting the way the structure of this defense is with the run game? Uh, and Mostert was a guy who's really good last year. What do you expect, by the way? You're, you're kind of uh, you're curious what McDaniel's going to do. And I think, Look, from the sidelines, I think he's one of the smartest, uh, you know, coaches out there. I think he's going to figure it out. Uh, like, talking about as far as, as counterpunching, what would you anticipate? Uh, you're talking about maybe running the ball and just the Chargers, like, welcome that. They'll give you five yards in the yep. ground at a time, I suppose, which we don't want that from a DFS perspective. And maybe if I'm hearing you right, you're saying possibly fade this game, even though it's the biggest total on the board. Yeah, I think that you, from like a large field stance, you know, I think you do want to come under a lot of these plays. And I think there are some good plays here too. Uh, you know, maybe like real small field stuff, single entry stuff, you go for the onslaught. But I do think in large field, you either, I think you do kind of want to be under on this. Because the other side of this too is the Miami Dolphins defense. I, I don't want to just eat up all the shot clock on Diggle here. But the Miami, <laughs> the Miami all, defense all is being soaked up right now, yeah. <laughs> but the Miami pass team, the Miami pass defense is going to go through a litany of changes as well with the hire of Vic Fangio. And you also had David Long, you know, in the middle of that defense. And, you know, over the past, his past 10 years in the league, Fangio has had a top 10 defense in passing yardage allowed eight times. He's also no stranger to Justin Herbert because his last stop in the NFL was head coach of the Denver Broncos, where he faced Justin Herbert four times. And in those four starts, Justin Herbert only eclipsed 20 fantasy points in one game, and it was just barely over over 20 fantasy points. So, like, I definitely see a path to where this game is tighter and maybe lower scoring than people think it could get. You got the ball, John. Two-minute uh, two drill. I also am worried about this game. I'm actually kind of glad Rich falls in the same line because I feel like I'm the only I'm the only one who's been pouring water on this one just because I'm worried and again, what answers? Rich mentioned at the top of the show understanding matchups that could pop, but also we could easily paint how this game goes wrong. And that is because Dick Fangio, I think, is the biggest part here. Just the fact that the Dolphins, even when they played Justin Herbert in Week 14 last year, blitzed him on 51% of his dropbacks, and he completed 17 to 26 passes against him. That's not going to happen with Dick Fangio. Like, Dick Fangio is basically the reason and responsible for making the NFL harder to watch because he practically created two high safeties. He's the reason why all these quarterbacks are now struggling to make explosive passes. And that's how they're going to handle Justin Herbert. It's a double-edged sword with the Chargers offense because on one hand, maybe we can say Herbert was the QB 17 in points per game last year, 
because he only played 23% of his dropbacks with both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the field, since both were just constantly injured last year. At the same time, though, I don't know whether or not to believe the reports coming out of camp, and I prefer to ignore them. The fact that Kellen Moore suddenly shows up and Justin Herbert starts throwing deep. Maybe he does start throwing deep, but I attribute his 25th and 36th ranking the last two years in depth of target, not to the offensive coordinator, uh, not to Joe Lombardi, maybe a little bit of it, but it's the fact that Justin Herbert dropped back and saw Jalen Guyton running deep every time he looked up and nothing's changed. It's the same offense. It's still Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Josh Palmer reportedly starting in three wide sets over Quentin Johnson. Johnson, who was actually one of the worst wide receivers in the nation and contested catch rate and downfield opportunity plays. Like, Quentin Johnston, as big as he is, he's big Brandon Ayuk. You get him with the ball underneath, you let him create yards after the catch. He looks like Mike Williams, but he plays like Brandon Ayuk. And so, to me, the offense didn't change anything to make Justin Herbert go downfield. That's why I worry about the constant report. So I think Austin Eckler is very safe because he's Austin Eckler. And I love Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill was not 1A, 1B to Jalen Waddle with Tua on the field last year. It was Tyreek Hill on an island of his own with a 32.5% target share. And then Jalen Waddle was all the way down at 22.7%. So I like those skinny stacks in this game. There are players and a lot of talent in this game that do kill you. That if they hit their ceiling, they do win. But overall, I think both of us have just painted enough question marks for me to say, yeah, if everyone's flowing this way, I just generally don't mind zagging. This also speaks to the whole like uh, question Rich was asking you for as far as week one, how you handle projections. And this game is going to project well because, you know, we are attracted to high totals. This is the highest total on the board. And you guys are throwing out some red flags. I'm curious when we get the position by position, maybe some players will pop up like some uh, some pivots that we're looking at. But this for sure is going to be one of the most popular games in the slate. Not one of the most popular games, but we have the, the Dolphins, the most predictive, like, target tree, one and two. And if we're kind of poo-pooing that, it's it's really, really interesting to get to some potential leverage in the field. And, yeah, uh, you guys are having me rethink this slate. And uh, I do. Know, going back, yeah, go ahead. I, I do, just to, to tag team with Reeves, I do like Raheem Moster quite a bit. I think he's going to – you know, I was listening to – uh, Drew Dinkmeyer and Mike Leone, everyone knows from Established to Run, two friends of the show, two of the smartest DFS players ever. And Dink mentioned that he believes the way DFS is going in 2023, like unlike last year, the last couple of years, where we look at ownership percentage and say, that guy's low. Now it becomes looking at ownership percentage and saying, like, what should it be and how far off is it? Does it need to be higher or lower? And with Raheem Mostert, I can see it coming in as a player that may reach 10 or 12% but probably should be higher given that A-chain injury. That's the real threat here is A-chain battling a shoulder injury and basically not being played at all in the preseason with the first string offense. It's a small sample, but remember last year before the team traded for Jeff Wilson. He's a 180-pound running back. That's that's true. Yes, that too. But he's fast. He's fast, fast. He's fast, fast. If you're 180 pounds, you better not be slow. <laughs> uh, last year, whenever the team benched Chase Edmonds in week two, so from week two through week eight, because they traded for Jeff Wilson after that, Raheem Mostert handles 70% of Miami's backfield touches, uh, 15 and a half per game. So given that also reports out of camper that he's been the third down back this all along, the pass catching back, like we think Mostert is genuinely an every down running back in this game. So I kind of just like to lean there instead. Just kind of running through the running backs that are similar price points. Uh, Rich, you tell me, or John, feel free to chime in, right? We got Sanders at 5'6", five, five, Williams at 5'7", that's Jamal. Uh, White for Tampa at 5'5". Five, five. Do you like Mostert pretty much the same or better than most of those guys? 
uh, Swift right below, Herbert right below, Gibson. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I, I, I outright like Mostert more than all those guys. Uh, it, what's interesting about my Jamal Williams take, and it's kind of counterintuitive, I think, to what people think about Jamal Williams. I think he's a better DraftKings play than FanDuel play. Um, and because he's 5 1 at DraftKings. Yeah. And, and people forget, like, before he was in this like split with DeAndre Swift, like, he was the two minute back in the Packers offense, he caught 25 or more passes each of his first four seasons in the NFL. Kendra Miller's hurt. They've got some vagabonds behind him. Uh, Tony Jones Jr., I, I, I think he was like a Thanksgiving Day thing one year, uh, but like has never done anything. Like he's probably going to be a, a full like three down guy, at least in week one if Kendra Miller can't play. But then it, it, he becomes touchdown dependent, but – the Titans have been not just a one-year sample, a multi-year sample, like where their defensive front has been awesome. They, they yeah. had one running back to rush for more than 66 yards in a game against them last year. So I think he's actually a better DraftKings play because you pick up a few, you know, dump-off receptions and stuff that count towards DraftKings a lot more than, than they do on FanDuel. Um, because I just I still have a hard time believing the Saints with their kind of like it, it's a very wishy-washy offensive line. Uh, you know, Andrews Pete's kind of died off. We don't know what Penning still is. Uh, like, are they going to line up and run the football on the Titans? I have a real hard time buying that. Also, like the Titans probably do lean on Derrick Henry, but that game's kind of sneaky too. There's a lot of unknown there because the Titans were dead last in pace and 29th in pass play rate from neutral game script, but they fired their OC. They made a splash signing. They gave DeAndre Hopkins 11 million guaranteed. It's still probably a Mike Vrabel trickle-down. It still probably ultimately runs through Derrick Henry, but we honestly just don't know, and it's an indoor game against a team we have questions about. So I kind of think Titans, like even Skinny Stacks, Titans Saints, I've been looking at as a, a sneaky one that everyone's going to overlook outside of Jamal Williams. John, it's a uh, first and goal at the two-yard line for New Orleans. Do we get a mm. run for Jamal Williams? Do we get uh, Taysom Hill doing some nonsense? Or we throw the jump ball to the, uh, you know, you guys know Jimmy Graham used to play football, basketball, right? I'm sure you guys are aware. You've heard of that someplace maybe once or twice. But what's the call? What's the play? Who's going to get the touchdowns for New Orleans? You know, if Kendry Miller's out, DraftKings moved Taysom Hill to tight end this year. And I've been staring at that 3700 pr price tag, Dean. I've been looking at it on this slate and just thinking, you know who led the Saints in carries from the 10-yard line last year? It was Taysom Hill. So, I'm not saying do it, but uh, I'm saying tight end is so bad that maybe I do it. 
it's probably there's Jamal Williams. Buzz. Yeah, there's a lot of positive buzz on uh, Jawan Johnson, too. I know a lot of people have liked him mm-hmm. in the offseason as far as best ball stuff. Final thought here, Rich, as far as this game, uh, the Dolphins game, that is, before we move on and talk about our favorite <laughs> plays. Titans. Somehow yeah, it I became mean, the fourth game, the Saints-Titans, yeah. but uh, that's good. That's a, uh, you know, we, we can, uh, we're flexible pick here. Seven. Pick seven. Pick seven. Yeah, yeah, the Saints-Saints. Yeah, I do think that, you know, if you're looking Charger side, I still think Keenan Allen is the guy that stands out the most, especially if we're going to get more quarters and cover six uh, that we're expecting uh, to be run by the Miami Dolphins. So I still think that favors him because when you look at Mike Williams, it's the same story with Mike Williams, right? Like if you get Mike Williams in man coverage, the dude's going to eat. If you need Mike Williams to do a bunch of other things against structured defense, not the greatest. You know, uh, he had some of the largest splits again last year versus man and zone. He was targeted on 32% of his routes against man coverage. This is Herbert sees him in one-on-one. He's going to him. That was 10th in the NFL. He was targeted just 16.6% of his routes against zone coverage last year. That was 78th in the NFL. Miami, again, flipping. They were a heavy man coverage team last year. Guess what Mike Williams did in that game when they played? Six catches for 116 yards and a touchdown. Uh, 78 of those yards came against man coverage, including a 55-yard uh, reception. But when you look at kind of you know Vic Fangio and what he's done his career, his defenses were in, in, in uh, quarters or cover six. For 34% uh, of the time in Denver uh, against Justin Herbert, this is. I'm looking at just his splits and how he called defenses against, uh, you know, Justin Herbert. So, and then he was in zone coverage, uh, you know, uh, played man coverage on just 33% of the snaps. So heavy, heavy zone, a lot of cover six, a lot of quarters. Uh, and when you against those coverage, Mike Williams for his career has averages 1.56 yards per out run, targeted on 17% of his routes. So. I would lean Keenan if you're going for more of a stacking partner here uh, with Herbert when you're, if you're playing him. All right. Let's uh, talk about our favorite players position by position. We're going to do that in just a second. Before we do so, we want to mention uh, here at Roto-Grinders, obviously the NFL is ready. Roto-Grinders is ready as well. We're more than ready than ever with our team of experts, our plethora of tools. Let RG handle the legwork so you can work less, win more this NFL season. Get access to everything we have to offer at a special discount available only to those without an RG subscription. You can get a full season sub, $50 off, limited time, only price of $375. This will be extended until uh, the day, week two, the Thursday night game as far as this sale. This is a la carte as far as NFL. Of course, we have, uh, if you want everything, if you want all the sports, basketball still, but 47, 48 days away. Uh, MLB still doing its thing, PGA, MMA. You can get uh, all the sports in one with the exception of NASCAR or if you just want NFL a la carte. That's the way to make it work. Additionally, more memories are made when you're there live, getting, catching some NFL action. When you need tickets, Ticketmaster, they have got you covered. The official marketplace of the NFL. Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find the perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360 degrees. Previews of your section to make sure you have the best view of those pivotal plays. And if your plans happen to change Ticketmaster, they give you flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, uh, mobile tickets, they make getting in on game day a breeze much easier. And you can even customize your ticket app, your ticket master app, that is, uh, to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at ticketmaster.com slash NFL. All right, Rich, I will throw it to you. What quarterbacks have we not mentioned are we super excited for as far as week one? I know we haven't talked about Jalen Hurts and Lamar, uh, Fields, Geno Smith, Russ Wilson. All right, I'll just throw it to you. Yeah, I think if you're starting from just like salary down, Lamar stands out just because of the unknown, right? Like the like, what can this offense be? 
Over the past four years, under Greg Roman, the Ravens have ranked 27th, 30th, 26th, and 22nd in pace of play in neutral game scripts. Todd Monken's offense, 8th, 11th, 4th, 16th. Monken's offenses have averaged a pass rate over expectation of 2%. Baltimore under Greg Roman, minus 6% pass rate below expectation. We're going to finally see this kind of like unveiling. Now the question is, is it like a slow start? Is there an adjustment to be made or have they like been bottling up like this thing that could just be amazing. Right. So like that, he, he kind of, he kind of starts off there when I look at like potentially having like, just like he could go nuclear. He's like a perfect tournament quarterback uh, and they're huge home favorites, right. Against yes. a rookie quarterback. So like, it could be just a, a floodgate Ravens game, but now who do we stack him with? Mark Andrews dealing with a quad injury. It looks like he's going to play. Are they going to really need him to be a full go? Which of these receivers do we really trust? I really kind of like if you're playing in terms of Zay Flowers on both sites, he's Elijah Moore priced on both sites. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have another Elijah Moore pivot. If Elijah Moore is going to be that highly owned and people are going to follow that uh, in the optimals to that degree, uh, I think there's a lot of upside there. Cause I think, with the Ravens, we already know they're going to ease Bateman back. Like Bateman probably won't be a hundred percent, hundred percent snap player. And why would they play Odell for hundred percent snaps? Right? Like he's probably going to be more of a, a guy they ramp up. So I think just naturally Zay Flowers is going to be the guy that's going to play the most snaps out of the three wide receivers. Although I do think all three play. When you look at the Ravens in the preseason, they they ran eleven personnel on seventy four point eight percent of their passing plays. Last year, they were dead last in the NFL at 18.6%. The next closest team was at 40.6%. So they were less than half of the next bottom team. Uh, so it's just going to be a new outcome, a new offense. I do think there could be some variance here. Uh, we'll get to running backs, but I think there's an absolute direct leverage play on Lamar too. But uh, I guess I'll with Lamar Jackson. You know, John, your thoughts here. The tricky part is, right, can Houston keep up? How much does Baltimore have to do? We saw shades of this with Hertz uh, last year, and that's also worth mentioning because Hertz playing against New England on the road, so it's a tighter spread. Can New England keep up with Philly? Two really, really phenomenal quarterbacks if they happen to get four quarters of offense where they're actually pushing for points. That's up top. Your thoughts there. Feel free to work your way down in the mid-tier and to potential cheapies. In a normal week where pricing is stiff, then it's probably a, a Sam Howell cash game week because he's so cheap. But in this week, I imagine Lamar will be the cash game option for all those reasons Reeves mentioned. He also touched on the only reason I'm a little bit concerned because like the Texans have already put two starting offensive linemen, Juice Scruggs, their starting center, and Titus Howard, their right tackle on injured reserve to open the year. And the Ravens were one of only two defenses to blitz on over 50% of their snaps during the preseason. The other being Wink Martindale for the Giants because, of course, he couldn't control himself. He has to do it no matter what. Uh, So, yeah, that's my only concern. But I lean to Jalen Hurts. I think this Patriots-Eagles game, you can see the smile on my face, is pretty hot. I think it could be fun. Uh, Last year, Eagles obviously played the easiest strength of schedule by every metric. And they played at the league's fastest pace in the league and threw 19 and a half pass attempts in the first two quarters of games. When it became the second half, they trailed for the lowest rate of plays because they played no competition and averaged just 11.1 pass attempts over those last two quarters. Changed significantly. Not only that, but on the surface, if you look at the Patriots defense, maybe it's good. It ranked third in EPA last year. And this is something we talked about all last season to close the close the year was that New England actually went 8 and 0 against rookies and backups and they allowed 10.7 points per game a league best mark 
in those eight games. But around that, against relevant competition and above-average play, Tua, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, who was bad last year, Justin Fields, Kirk Cousins, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and Derek Carr, they allowed a league-high 29 points per game. And their defense is literally the same as it was last year, minus first-round cornerback Christian Gonzalez, who I think Belichick took in the first round because he also plays special teams. Nonetheless, (laughs) we think the Eagles and Jalen Hurts are going to check in double stacks with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith around single-digit ownership. Like, A.J. Brown and Devonta aren't catching anything right now, quietly, probably because people are scared of the Patriots' defense. And then on the other side of the ball, like, we talk about Todd Munkin changing the game. Maybe Bill O'Brien gives us a little more. You can't say Mac Jones doesn't have a ceiling because this offense ranked top 10, ninth and 7th, and points and yards per drive just one year removed from Mac Jones' rookie season. Last year, of course, they fell all the way to 26th and 24th overall, probably because of Matt Patricia. Last year also, that was Bill Belichick's first offense. He's coached the Patriots for 22 years. That was the first time they averaged less than 61 plays per game. They averaged 59, 28th in the league. So we think we're going to get more volume. We're thinking we're getting a more intelligent and up-tempo offense, as all reports have shown, out of camp. And... The Eagles lost so many players on defense, both starting safeties, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Epps, linebackers, T.J. Edwards, Kazir White, uh, Javon Hargrave, even though they did grab uh, uh, top 10 Jalen Carter to replace him. Nonetheless, so many important absences on defense that I think this game could be hot. I think we get a little bit of pushback here. So I do like Jalen Hurts doubles and running it back with whomever your favorite Patriot is. That was going to be my follow-up. Uh, Stevenson, the only one that's actually expensive. You know, he's probably going to catch the ball, be on the field a ton. Uh, I It's hard to trust Juju or Parker, Bourne. My lean, my first thought here, John, and you tell me, uh, and you, you talk about camp, some positive speak on Hunter Henry, and he's super cheap, and it's tight end. Like I'm always happy to knock out that position. I think that's Hunter my favorite Henry. run back. Hunter Henry, a FanDuel favorite. Yeah, I I just like blockers on slates. I like touchdown upside on FanDuel. (laughs) And then I like blockers because, like, if we're not playing Dallas Goddard, we can block him in the same game with Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, like, we're just a year removed. He was a tight end 13 in points per game. Then last year he fell all the way to tight end 27. But he at least still tied for the team lead in red zone targets with Jacoby Myers, who is obviously no longer on the team. Uh, Bill O'Brien's personnel out of camp is primarily 12, so we think – Henry is staying on the field no matter what. So, yeah, I agree. I actually like Hunter Henry in this game. Yeah, I mean, imagine just, imagine just the time last year, though, where you were going to get Eagles doubles for, like, projected ownership like this. Right. You would auto-play them. And I don't want to talk about it. That's what – yeah, I'm scared yeah. to talk about it. I don't want to – And, and then also the, the, question is, the question is how does New England approach defending Jalen Hurts in this offense? Because under Bill Belichick, this has been an aggressive man-to-man defense. Uh, again, last year they were in, you know, man coverage, the sixth highest rate in the NFL in the preseason. They were once again, man heavy. Uh, they were, they were in a uh, man coverage, 44% of plays it was fourth in the league. Uh, and Jalen hurts led the NFL and PR surpassed attempt against man coverage last year. AJ Brown went absolutely nuclear against man coverage last year. Uh, you know, he had a 35% of the team's targets against man coverage. He was targeted on 32% of his routes. Uh, he was still good against zone, but like there was a drop off in those numbers and like, are they going to trust Christian Gonzalez to check AJ Brown? <laughs> like, oh boy. Uh, so I'm really curious to see how Belichick defends it. And then you have the old narrative too. These Bel- Belichick's defenses 
against mobile quarterbacks, right? Like here we are, the narrative again. And once again, last year, they were bad against quarterbacks that could run. They were 21st in, in rushing yards, a lot of the quarterbacks. Justin Fields got them for 82 yards and a touchdown. Lamar Jackson got them for 170 yards and a touchdown because it's an aggressive defense. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I just re- just go back, just warp back to the when we stopped playing DFS and stopped playing NFL. And imagine a time where I told you, hey, man, the Eagles offense is going to come in way under round. Do you remember you said the uh, you said the old narrative, the old narrative of Belichick, and I was thinking the one people always say, which is I think is just so dumb. Oh, Belichick no, take, take the, away your it, best guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like no other defensive person has ever. Oh, you know what? It never really dawned on me until Belichick. Maybe I should try to stop their best player. Is that a thing people are still saying? Or we stop. We stop saying that, know. right? I, I, think we, I think we've collectively stopped uh, saying that. I, I also don't think, I mean, maybe so. Maybe because I'm going to talk about it on every freaking show I do for the rest of the week. But I don't think it could get so steamed because kickoff is at the same time with Dolphins Chargers. So, like, only the sharpest people are late swapping. And mostly everyone, there's going to be no reason to get off Miami, Los Angeles, anyhow in the afternoon unless you just get, like, Jamal Williams in the first slate wrong. So, uh, I think I think we have a blocker there in the Chargers Dolphins game too. So I like I love that game. Yeah, I don't like no, any here's... Patriots, but I do like the Eagles side. I'll play Hunter Henry for you. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I do think there are a couple quarterbacks we should touch on. Uh, Geno, obviously, with J- Jackson Smith and Jigba now slated to play. I think just another pro for Geno. Uh, you know, obviously, this Rams defense, man. I mean, what about the offense? I mean, listen, I, I will say this about the Rams offense. If you go back to the two times they played Seattle last year, they hung around with Baker Mayfield and some Jamokes against Seattle both times. <laughs> so, like, I do think that they could maybe do some things. So, with yeah. Stafford back, like, with Stafford in this game. But we got to talk about this Rams defense coming this year. <laughs> the Rams. Is it the worst? Is it, like, worse than Arizona? Is it worse than Dean, Minnesota? You're about outside, to hear it, dude. Outside of Aaron Donald, the Rams. Yeah do not have another defensive player on their roster that was selected in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. I didn't know that. They do yeah, not okay. have, they, they have just two other players, Ernest Jones and Byron Young, who were selected in the opening three rounds of the NFL draft. <laughs> Dude, this is King Moon Racer, Island of Misfit Toys, like 101. <laughs> like they just threw some stuff around Aaron Donald. Like there is no, like there could be maybe all these guys like gel and there's something here that we don't know about that comes like and, and develops throughout the season. But like, man, this defense looks awful on paper. Uh, they, you, you, you do for, and, and you have this Kenneth Walker groin injury. Like they could, it could be more of a, and the, the first of all, the Seattle Seahawks were, they was not your Pete Carroll Seahawks last year. They were 11th in drop back rate. Yeah. Like they threw the ball. And now you add Jackson Smith and Jigba, like this, this offense is going to be more aggressive than you think. Uh, we talked that, and then we can talk about Sam Howell for a second because we have to. Well, go ahead, talk about Sam Howell. Who wants it? I have, I, oh, I hate to be that guy, but he's like been my best ball guy 32% Sam Howell. Can I take the victory lap? Is what you already get a victory? Can I claim victory? Are we gonna no, that's gonna be season long. He's a trap because Washington's oh. schedule is one of the worst. And in the fantasy playoffs, if you drafted Sam Howell, he plays the Jets and 49ers. Like, you excited about those? Like I granted, granted that that's a while from now, and we'll see like how sticky. But I do have pretty good well, faith that the Jets and 49ers are gonna be pretty good defenses he, this year. Even in the next yeah. three games, like he travels to Denver, plays the Bills, and then plays the Eagles. So like you get this one. layup, you get this layup right now, and it's a layup. <laughs> but but I will after say, that, questions. on on DraftKings, he's a way better play than he is on FanDuel. Four nine. 
Yeah, yeah 4-9 on DraftKings is crazy. There's a lot of players that I think have higher ceilings than him on FanDuel that are priced right near him because this is your bring-back game, Dean, where you question, do the Cardinals score in yeah. this game? And if the <laughs> Cardinals don't score, we've already – like they will – like this – I mean, I, I don't want to say like on a slate like this you could – you mo- don't want to look at Brian Robinson, but – Dude, Brian Robinson is massive leverage, and he's a huge home favorite. I mean, and he caught he caught five passes on 17 routes in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Like, he is massive leverage on this slate. And we would never ignore a running back that's a huge home favorite in this. And the Cardinals defense was terrible last year against the run. They had 15 and a half rushing points per game to backfields, 4.7 yards per carry to backfields. I mean, I, I mean, it's gross he's, to say Brian Robinson is massive leverage, but he is. And he's Jahan Dotson leverage because Dotson, I think, will triple up his ownership. But what about McLaurin? McLaurin might play now, so it might at least pull that's it That's true. In, it's but... only Wednesday. You're right. Yeah. He says he's going to play on a Wednesday night. He's dealing with that toe, right? Turf toe. Um, I, I feel like we're just kind of talking about the Washington in general now. Does the public that's just right. like Gibson more than Brian Robinson? They're basically the same price and – I have a hard time. I mean, there's a path for both better. guys. This could be yeah. a, like this backfield could have 35 touches this game. Yeah. And like, if you had to force a run back, Rich, you have to, you got to pick a run back on the no. Arizona side. <laughs> I'm not playing any Cardinal D not playing. Uh, any Cardinal. Trey McBride. Little Trey McBride. Yeah, sure. Okay. The, the, you get to, if you want to punt tight end, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You don't have to do it. Like so a lot of people force run backs. I kind of agree with you. You don't have to force it. Uh, John, you want to sell anybody in the Cardinals? It doesn't sound like you do. Absolutely not. No. Okay. Fair enough. And, I, I, I mean, wouldn't, I wouldn't either. Like, I know people all offseason long have been like extrapolating Marquise Brown's target share without DeAndre Hopkins, but like, what does it matter? Like, what does it matter if someone has a 24% target share, 40% of the team's air yards, and Josh Dobbs passes for 120 yards? What does that target share take? And, I don't and also, I mean, Brian Robinson, who is he the same price as? Gibson, for one, Williams. The, the gyrator himself. Yep. <laughs> the most highest owned running back on the slate on DraftKings. Yeah. I mean, well, we'll see. That's, that's what we're looking at right now. He's he will be. be. Yeah. Um, assuming that uh, Miller, I keep getting that guy's, that, that's his name, yeah, right? The back Miller. Back there. Yeah. Assuming he doesn't play and it's not looking optimistic here. All right. Uh, let's kind of jump the running back. Let's talk about it. Uh, I'll let you open it up, John, wherever you want to go as far as running backs we've not yet talked about in the three main games. Who was, Who's getting you excited? Uh, I actually want to toss to Reeves real quick because I want him to, it probably won't take much, but sell me on J.K. Dobbins. Because right now I think J.K. Dobbins won't even be leveraged. I think he's going to be really high rostered when everyone starts unraveling this Lamar Jackson game script. And like, if that's the case, you know, the Ravens have been, and Dobbins doesn't need the pass catching work to get there. I should explain that. But the Ravens have been bottom four in the league to running back target rate in all four seasons with mm-hmm. Lamar. Uh, so maybe, maybe Todd Munkin does change that. I don't think so. I think it's just the way Lamar Jackson plays football. Uh, so please, if he's going to be 25% rostered, sell me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If we, if we get the anyone running back being 25% outside of the the the, the, the Pokemon, <laughs> the Pokemon man. Uh, I'd be pretty surprised on this slate. I also, like I said, I like ETN in the same price zone. So if it does get to a situation where Dobbins is just massively has way more roster ship than ETN, like I'm going to play 
ETN. But it's it's literally just, yeah, the the run out of he could have multiple touchdowns. Like we are in a situation like this, I think, last year with Jalen Hurts, right? And, uh, you know, everyone is running Jalen Hurts doubles and Jalen Hurts one of the most popular plays. And it was Miles Sanders had the two touchdown game over mm. 150 yards. There's an opportunity for like that to be here because not only was J.K. Dobbins the number one running back in terms of explosive run rate uh, in the NFL last year, like if Houston did not fix this run defense, like that's all they did was they were they were they allowed the most explosive runs in the NFL last year. They allowed opposing running backs to average 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, so like, that's just really it, but like, we'll circle back on the weekend and see where kind of like roster ship is. But yeah, if like Lamar's really highly owned, uh, and you know, Dobbins isn't like, that's just kind of the, like the direction where I'm going to say like, yeah, I'm going to definitely probably look at playing Dobbins. 3% right now is where he, where he's currently projected again. It is fluid, but that's where he's currently at. Uh, as far as, uh, Dobbins. I, I have a hard time getting there, just like he, he doesn't really catch the ball and he's not going to have 20 carries. And I know you want to give the efficiency argument, but also Lamar is there at the goal line. He can steal, he can steal a touchdown. Like Justice Hill is still alive, as far as I know. I'm not saying he's going to run it in, but it's like possible. It's a scenario. Is he alive, Gus Edwards? I mean, <laughs> I don't have a proof of life to present to you, but as far as I know. Uh, and Gus Edwards is a person who, like, theoretically can get the ball, but. Uh, I don't know. I, I just don't love Dobbins, and maybe that's a hole in my game. Uh, but it sounds like somebody you want to be in on this week, uh, John. But uh, otherwise, outside uh, of Dobbins, just, go ahead. Just que- just questioning the ownership more than that, because I, I think my running back pool is actually going to be fairly small this week. I'm looking at wide receiver more, trying to because we're probably going to end up eating some wide receiver chalk, whether we want to or not this week. So I'm just trying to mm-hmm. sift through and make sure I have like my five to ten percent plays in the right order. I don't, I don't want to condense too much, even though I'm accepting more. I also like Rashad White. I think he's going to come in fairly under rostered. And when you're talking about just a general, a player with no competition, like the reports right now are Sean Tucker is an RB2, but Sean Tucker is an undrafted free agent and his role is apparently on early downs. We don't think early downs are going to matter anyhow for the Bucks. So a 98th percentile athlete, who for his peak in college, 18.9% target share. Didn't have an opportunity to show that off last year. I understand that. But still, if we don't think Rashad White has competition against the Vikings, uh, which who allowed the 10th most running back catches last year, then I think I don't mind being overweight on him in a negative game script. I love that call. He's one of my favorite plays as well. And my understanding is Minnesota is supposed to be really bad, really bad defensively, really good offensively. Probably going to be a team you're going to be involved in every single week from a DFS perspective, especially when they're at home in the dome. Uh, White feels like he's game script proof, right? If they're ahead, he's on the field. If they're behind, he's going to catch some dump offs. The only thing you can catch him maybe is just like Baker Mayfield just being terrible possibly. I don't know. But uh, I feel pretty good about that call, Rich. Uh, you want to make it unanimous as far as White? You want to go off the board as far as the running backs you like? Yeah, I don't have a problem with him. I think, too, a player that I didn't like uh, this, you know, in season for redraft, but just the spot you have to bet on is his counterpart and Alexander Madison. Like, the Vikings are six-point home favorites. Like, those are just objective spots you bet on the running back, right? Like, I don't really like Alexander Madison. I can't make a great case for Alexander Madison, the player, but uh, as far as what we're looking at in as far as the game environment, like, those are just situations you bet on. And Tampa Bay was not the run defense bugaboo that they were in years past. I mean, they were 20th in yards per carry a lot of the running backs. They were 25th in yards after contact per carry. And they were much worse without Akeem Hicks, who is a free agent right now. Uh, so with without Hicks on the field, they were actually 25th in yards per carry out the running backs, 29th in yards 
per carry allowed after. Uh, and the Vikings actually were a solid running team when their offensive line was healthy last year. When they had Brian O'Neill, when they had Brad Barry, when they had Darisol, all, th- all three of them on the field, because they all had injuries at various times last year, they could run the football a lot better. Uh, and it fell apart as the season wore on. But if if I was telling you that there's a home running back that's a six-point favorite in a dome in a game with one of the highest game totals of the slate and he's not going to be owned, you would be like, why? Like, that's- what is his uh, snap count percentage? I, I was confused by like his uh, season long, like going like 55, 65, depending on like basketball, that kind of stuff. I thought he'd be a little bit higher, you know, being attached to this offense that should be good. Um, I know there's been some rumblings about Chandler. Chandler looks pretty good, but it seems pretty clear, right, Rich, that Madison's the guy. What percent? And they sign him to a contract. Like, they, what, no matter what we think about Alexander Madison, the Vikings yeah. clearly think something of him. And, that's all uh, that matters. And it, yeah, I mean, and those are still betting on season long outlooks compared to week one. Like even Chase Edmonds was an every down back one week last year. So uh, we just don't know. Yes. Also the way their organization set up their offense. It's again, it's just something that gives me bad vibes. Like I don't know what's yeah. going on. They gave TG Hawkinson the largest co- contract for any tight end in NFL history. They gave Josh Oliver his backup 21 million over three years. Uh, Jordan at so like Jordan Addison, you know, if we expect him to play a little more 12 personnel and maybe that's an odd read since they did lead the league and drop back from three wide sets last year, but we're expecting them to play 12 personnel. Like I'm not sure Jordan Addison, like is even on the field that much, at least for week one, uh, definitely going to be, in my opinion, a breakout player this year and his rookie season. But like for the first couple of games, we could just be seeing BC Johnson over Justin Jefferson again. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a situation where I look to either Justin Jefferson or Alexander Madison, and like that's how I play the Vikings. It's amazing how Hawkinson's year feels so much better after signing that contract, right? I think he's good to go. Whatever. Did he have a couple injuries? He was sort of like uh, that was sort of floated out there, and then he signed that monster deal, and all of a sudden he is good to go. Anything else we should point out here, Rich? As far as receivers, I'm sorry, as far as running backs. Yeah. Uh, let's we, see who else did I miss out of that thing. Oh, I yeah, I mean, there's done. I will say too, Aaron Jones uh, is a standout. Uh, you know, the Bears, like both games, the Packers ran all over the Bears last year. And if we know Romeo Dobbs, like he came into this week with a hamstring injury and hasn't practiced. Yeah. So like we can kind of stock that like he's trending negatively. Christian Watson didn't practice again. It's Wednesday. We'll see if he practices Thursday. But like if we do run into this game where the Packers are a little bit light at receiver and Jordan loves kind of like first start, like uh, not his first career start because he did start against the Chiefs two years ago, but like, don't and, the bear, and the Bears like just don't completely read like their their defense just isn't that much better. Like in the I think the Packers anyways are gonna like they have a, a clear signal that they want to run the football a lot this year anyways. Like we could see Aaron, and then we could see him catch a bunch of passes too if if he's if the receivers are down. But Aaron Jones stands out as like just because he's like the perfect kind of tournament play. You look at last year in the games Aaron Jones scored a touchdown. He averaged twenty five PPR points per game. In the games he didn't, he averages 10.4. Like, these are the kind of guys you, you, you take some shots on. Like, so the Bears, they allowed 5.1 yards for carry to running backs. In the two games against the Packers, they gave up 412 total yards to the Packers Ooh. running backs. Uh, so, I think Aaron Jones, especially because you can you run the, you can run some nice, nice tight minis there. You can run Fields plus DJ Moore plus Aaron Jones. You can add the punt tight end in Luke Musgrave, who we're going to talk about in a little bit too. But I do think Aaron Jones warrants some – consideration as well anything else here john as far as running backs we didn't really talk about you know up top like Bijan or cmc like certainly people are aware of their existence 
Uh, anything that's uh, worth pointing out? Or you want to jump to uh, receivers? I bet the Steelers money line. That's that's I like only it. pointing out running backs. I well, uh, so okay. Uh, are you a truther as far as Warren? Is Warren your guy? Uh, no, I, I mean I like Warren. Warren's fun, but that's not the reason why I bet him. But no CMC for me this week. Uh, I was trying to whittle it down. Like if George Kittle doesn't play. Where do we go send the target share to? But even then, probably a lower-scoring affair. There's so much going on with the 49ers. We don't know Nick Bose's condition. He's probably fine. George Kittle practice as of Wednesday. Uh, yeah, just lots to talk about. Plus, the total is it just keeps on going down. Isn't it like at 41 and a half now? So not really that exciting. Yeah, yeah two defenses to, that can right. rush the passer now that Bose yeah. is back. Uh, the other thing too is the 49ers are elite against the run and added Javon Hargrave. Like, yeah. Good luck. Uh, my, one of my favorite stats last year is the 49ers only allowed one running back to have 100 yards or scrimmage or more, and uh, that guy ended up playing for them during the season. That's pretty good. That's a good stat. Who was that guy? I'm trying to think who it was. Who was the guy that got Chris – losing the name? Oh, well, yeah, of course. Duh. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. All right, let's let's move on. Uh, I'll start receiver. wide receiver, though. Yeah. yeah. I'll lead up wide receiver for us. Um, I, I mentioned not being high, but – I have question marks about the Titans offense. I don't know what they are. And maybe Derrick Henry kills me. Maybe Derrick Henry gets scripted out. But either way, Traylon Burks, he's been battling a injury throughout preseason. And so maybe he's just a hair limited. And if so, like we know, at least last year, without Marquise Brown, DeAndre Hopkins was still elite at his age 30 season. Like he still averaged a 27% target share in those five games without Marquise Brown. So we think he can show up and earn plays. And we think there may be some volume for both sides of the ball here. So I do like DeAndre Hopkins just as a straight uh, volume earner. And then I wanted to sneak in Raiders Broncos specifically to talk about Devonte Adams because the Raiders offense is kind of going overlooked in this matchup. Uh, the top five offenses last year to end their drives with points were, as expected, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Eagles, and the Lions. That fifth one was the Raiders, except those other four offenses finished top four and scoring a touchdown on their drives, whereas the Raiders finished second with a field goal because they just didn't punch it in. They finished 26th in red zone scoring rate. Um, but we think there could be bounce back. Perhaps that was because Derek Carr. We don't know. Something was wrong. And Devontae Adams was one of only two receivers, Tyreek Hill being the other, to soak up 30% of his team's targets. So it just seems like a, a great matchup for Devontae Adams as well, especially since everyone's playing Stone Men Marvin Mims on the other side. <laughs> yeah, Marvin Mims 3K for sure. Is Wait till Brandon Johnson runs more pass routes than Marvin Mims. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to lose their mind. Because you should just be – listen, the guy everyone should be playing is Cortland Sutton in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 5.2K Sutton. And Mims is going to might play. Judy He's might, not going to play. Like a, uh, okay. You feel confident about that? Who knows? I feel, I feel like 90% they're going to at least hold him out. They're going to they're gonna wait. Because especially uh, re-risk of injury, re-aggravation with that, like I, I think he's not going to play week one. Okay, fair enough. Obviously if, to... obviously, if Judy does play, it does lower everyone else on that. But, you know. Corlin Sutton ran 183 routes last year with Judy off the field on those routes, 2.2 yards per route run, 29.7% of team targets, 40% of team air yards. Obviously Marvin Mims wasn't on that team, but obviously he's still going to be kind of the focal point of Judy's out, especially week one. Uh, Also when he, you know, Judy missed week 11 against the Raiders, he had uh, five catches for 80 yards in that game. That's part of his track record against the Raiders who are defense that they had to add Marcus Peters in the 11th hour. 
uh, defensively. Um, he's been a wide receiver two or better in five of the past eight games against the Raiders, include both year ago. So, I mean, he stands out. I think Mims for 3K, like, you, you could do worse, uh, you know, uh, especially when you look at what he uh, did in college. You know, he had 20 touchdowns in college. 19 of them were from 20 or more air yards out. Uh, the Raiders are one of the worst pass defenses vertically. They, like I said, they do add Marcus Peters. They did add Marcus Epps, too, from the Eagles, so it could change. But, like, if you're just taking a shot on a 3K guy, what do you want him to do? Like, it, you want him to it reminds me <laughs> That situation reminds me of, like, a poor a poorer version of it, but, like, how everyone's going to treat Tutu Atwell at Stone Men 3K on DraftKings compared to, like, Van Jefferson at 4,700. Um, where, like, Van Jefferson not only averaged two and a half more PPR points per game, then Atwell, whenever they closed the season together last year over their last seven games. But, like, he ran – very small sample, but he ran 16 routes with Stafford. He was targeted on five of them. He's also now a full year removed from the same offseason knee surgery that held him out for the first six games last year. So, if everyone's going to 2-2, I don't mind paying up for uh, Van Jefferson either. Yeah, I'm not playing any boundary receivers against the Seahawks fan. Like totally maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see proof that this year it doesn't matter, but they absolutely nuked outside wide receivers last Devin year. Devin Witherspoon is – ones. Well, it's only Wednesday. We don't know if Witherspoon. He was on that team last year. Uh, Witherspoon? No. No, no, no. Uh, Tyreek Woolen. Oh, yeah, of course. No, I'm saying Devin Witherspoon because the reason they drafted him was to that way they could cut down both boundaries and say, we dare you to do anything else. Yeah, I'm going to be still hesitant on the Van Jefferson train week one. That's fair. (laughs) Am I crazy to throw Puka uh, into the conversation? Puka into the conversation there for the Rams, or is that getting too ambitious? The he just takes a step three. of faith. Also, I mean, he takes a step of faith. I mean, you Billy know, Maker. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more of like a real large field play. Yeah. It was hard enough, like, you know, Metcalf versus Lockett. I never got that right. And now we have JSN. Looks like he's going to play. Um, okay, what, what do we do with that now, Rich? Now there's three legit receivers on Seattle. How do we figure that out? I still am on DK Metcalf. And especially against this secondary like where he was really good against the Rams and that was going against Jalen Ramsey every week, you know, these teams played. I also just think JSN impacts Lockett more because Lockett is a guy that played in the slot more. Lockett played in the slot on 37% of his snaps last year compared to 15% for DK. That's really all Jackson Smith and Jigba did in college. It's not that he won't play outside in the NFL. Um, It's just that, you know, we've seen him basically dominate playing slot receiver in college. And the easiest way to just get him acclimated is have him come play that. And, you know, you have Lockett run more vertical stuff. Also Lockett, as good as he is, and I know he's the fantasy darling. He always beats ADP. Like he ran pretty hot last year on his actual opportunity in games where he played with DK Metcalf. He had 24 fewer targets when the two were on the field together. I think people overlooked DK Metcalf's actual usage a year ago. Because it actually changed. He was a full fi- full field wide receiver for the first time in his career. It's because the first time in his career, he had really shitty touchdown luck. And he led the NFL in end zone target still. Uh, I, I still kind of want to be aggressive with DK, especially early in the season, while people may be like, kind of hesitant. So I think if I'm playing Geno, I'm probably going to play DK. Uh, whatever you have there, John, as far as Seattle, feel free to go off the board and any other team situations that are worth monitoring when it comes to receivers. Nope, Rich said it all, and I think that's about it for me. Uh, we'll I see. I got two we'll more. See. Go ahead, because we'll see what the Packer situation is. That's what I'm kind of watching, but I think everyone will probably catch on to Jaden Reed also at 3K at the minimum. Yeah. If, 
if like whether Christian Watson plays or not, if Romeo Dobbs is out and everyone's going 18 to 20% Marvin Mims, like Jaden Reed's oh, just yeah. right there, 20% target share in all four seasons in college ac- across Western Michigan and Michigan State, um, 20 carries as well, was getting jet sweeps and carries and concerted targets in the preseason too. He's small, but he plays so much bigger for his size. He seems like a player that could break out as early as week one. So we'll see what the Packers situation where everyone goes as of Friday and Saturday. Rich, you had a couple more? Fire away. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Denniston Moore Jr. is in play. Uh, I think that the the Bears are going to make a concentrated effort to, to get him the football. We saw him have explosive plays in the preseason. Like, this was a scheme, if you remember. I mean, the Bears, when just Justin Fields didn't take sacks, they were a top-12 scoring offense. Uh, if they can just protect him a little better. But they were scheming shot plays to just bombs, like Equinemus St. Brown. And, uh, you're, uh, and then when you look at the Packers, they were – 28th in points per game allowed to wide receiver ones last year. They were 30th in yardage uh, to, to the wide receiver one targets. So you have a natural stack there. And the one guy we didn't talk about in that Houston uh, situation is uh, Nico Collins. I think he's a natural bring back in that game uh, because you get great shot plays. I mean, you look at last year, he led the Texans and targets each of the final four games. Uh, he was the kind of guy that was the lead wide receiver in the preseason with CJ Stroud, as much as people want Tank Dell to be a thing. Uh, he had a 91% route participant participation rate with CJ Stroud in the game. He had 30% of the team targets, 35% of the team air yards from CJ Stroud. He was targeted on 29% of his routes in the preseason. And CJ Stroud was just a more accurate downfield passer than what Nico Collins had a year ago. Now you have no Marlon Humphrey for the Ravens. And this was a team that was already exposed last year on the outside. They were 27th in the league in completion rate allowed on wide receiver targets, 20 or more yards downfield. Uh, they were 28th in targets, 10 or more yards downfield in completion rate out of the wide receiver. So I think if you're running these Raven stacks, if you're running Lamar, if you're running Zay Flowers, like you have a guy built in on the Texan side that's probably going to get no play. I don't think anyone's playing Nico nope. Collins. Only as a runback, basically, like, like the way you're presenting him. That's kind of the way he's going to get played. Probably wouldn't be an a la carte piece. By the way, uh, speak to this, Rich. I had to, I had to Google. I know, I know the bit, but I'm like, uh, DJ, what's his middle name? <laughs> Uh, Denison, it's wait, it's Denison Oliver, Denison Oliver Moore, aka DJ. How do we get Denison Jr.? He's Denison Jr. Oh, it's oh, that's what the J is. Okay, because I thought, you know, why is it not D? Okay, so I'm just, I I was thrown off. All right, never mind. (laughs) I didn't know he was a junior, but uh, okay, fair enough. I I just uh, it threw me off there for a second because I wasn't aware what his middle name happened to be. We have tight ends to acknowledge. We got to acknowledge the existence of tight ends. Uh, Mark Andrews is the highest projected. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm saying, do we? Do we have to acknowledge them? Well, I mean, we just did just by saying that we acknowledge their existence. We've kind of mentioned several in passing, uh, none of which glowingly, I don't think. (laughs) I'll just sort of like, yeah, I guess you can play Hunter Henry. I suppose he's cheap as a run back, yada, yada. Andrews is out there. Hawkinson, I'm told that like this is going to be the greatest rookie class ever of tight ends john do you not agree i know it's one of the tougher yeah, the problem is two of them aren't on this slate the two with the best matchups <laughs> yeah. aren't on the slate and the other the other one's steamed up because he's the cheapest on dk and everyone's just going to play him because of the price not for any yeah. other reason and, and that's my thing i don't have a teardown of anyone playing a two a 2.9 tight end whatever do it i will say this though i do think the bears are going to be really good against tight ends this year uh, i do okay. think that there's an opportunity now and if you're just playing a 2.9 tight end you don't give a shit you don't care. <laughs> right. But I all will say yeah. they spent all their money on two of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. 
and Tremaine Edmonds. And the Bills for years have been one of the best teams against tight ends because of Tremaine Edmonds. And then they also signed TJ Edwards, who was eighth in uh, you know pass coverage grade last year. So I do think there's going to be a market improvement just based on where the Bears spent their money uh, in terms of coverage linebackers. But at 2-9, who, who am I to push back? <laughs> uh, I think Kate Otten is interesting on DraftKings, though, as a direct pivot, I will say. And no one wants to hear that because of Baker Mayfield. And we talked about another Tampa Bay guy already. But just at 3-3 in a game where the Buccaneers could be forced to throw a lot, being just road dogs, I mean – I don't know. Whatever. John, are you as enthusiastic as Rich is as far as he's tied into the collection? Oh, I thought you were going to say about Kate Otten. I was like, well, good. Kate Otten. Well, probably Otten. Otten did run a route on 84% of dropbacks without Cam Brate last year. Those seven starts. So uh, Cam Brate's still on the team, Dean. That's the best I you can say. You can't play him on FanDuel. You just got to hope for the 3-3K on, on DraftKings as, as leverage off Musgrave that, like, you get luck box to a touchdown. He has, like, five for 40. Uh, spending up at tight end, is that going to be a little bit different this week, John? Uh, Andrews, we're looking at 11, 12%, assuming he's good to go. He's currently ding, but it seems like he's going to play. We'll see. Stay tuned Rich, on that. I mean, we already covered the game and Rich talked about it, but I, I still think David and Joke is my favorite play to spend up for. Um, everyone remembers George Kittle scorching the earth with five touchdowns to close the year. But in that stretch, in that stretch, even though Njoku was tied in 13 points per game, like he was the only other tight end to match George Kittle with 40% of the team's red zone targets. He was getting targets where it matters most. So like that's what I care about, the opportunity. And if we're trying to sneak him in there, since everyone instead is paying up for either Mark Andrews or Tyler Higby, I will pay up for David Njoku. All right. We like to finish strong. We never do because we always end on tight ends. But that's just kind of where we're at, I suppose. Uh, I know last year we talked a bunch of movies. Maybe we'll work that into the show as we kind of. I mean, we're on. bringing the contest back, right? We won. Listen, we Dean, do it. Yeah, Dean. When when it gets like November and it gets four p.m. and it's dark in the Midwest and it's cold, <laughs> so none of us are going out and the clicks go down, but the quality has to stay as high. Like we need the movies. I'm telling you, that saved my soul last year. Keep the movie contest going. On the uh, on the Dean, real fast. Movie. What was the best movie you've seen this summer? Street Fighter. Um, um, oh god, do you go to the movies? Are you like a movie goer? I know you watch a lot of movies, but do you go to the movies? I used to be, I used to have the AMC pass where you can go up to three times a week for like 20 bucks a month, and it was incredible. I used to go all the time, and I stopped doing that, so I've not been to the movies for like a year. I've yet to see Oppenheimer. I want to see Oppenheimer. Mm. If you can endorse it, and you know, is it worth putting on? I've seen it, I've seen it twice. It was okay, you went and saw it twice, yeah, I saw it twice. Man, it just I love no one, so yeah, it's good. It just feels like you can now rent this movie, but across the spider verse is out. Oh, yeah, that's a sequel, right? I've seen the the original, the the, the, My, we watched it when I won in the contest last year. Yes, uh, it's excellent, Dean. Yeah, I would watch that. I enjoyed the first one, uh, as well. Um, Jesus. Triangle of Sadness might be the best movie I saw, but that's not a movie I would recommend to the masses. It's like a two and a half hour movie. It's kind of a comedy, kind of a dark comedy, but it's not necessarily funny to most people. Uh, there's some Swedish spoken in it, I believe. It's definitely not a movie I want to throw out there as like a, a broad recommendation, but it's some people will love it. Uh, well, what about yourself, John? What's the best movie you've seen in the last year? It's probably what Reeves mentioned, like Across the Spider-Verse, the second one. Uh, and I only watched the first one because Reeves made us since he won the contest. And then I ended up absolutely loving it, the artwork and everything. So 
that's probably it. I did go see all the summer blockbusters. I'd have to think think through them all, though. It's been a while. I'll tell you, on the eve of the NFL season, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. Thursday, of course, Detroit and Kansas City. Mm. I was flicking through Amazon Prime last night, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I know how to celebrate the upcoming NFL season. Uh, two for the money, starring Matthew McConaughey as John oh, Anthony yeah, yeah. with Al Pacino. Pacino. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, that's what I'm watching tonight. I'm watching that tonight. That's going to get me in the mood. It's going to get me ready. I Not a good movie, out. but it's – I actually watched no, that last weekend. I watched it it's last weekend great. for the first time, oddly enough. What would you think? It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. but, but, like, but it's fun. It's, it's a fun terrible, isn't it's, it? Yeah, the, the acting is – it's <laughs> overdone given what their role is for basically being salesmen. It's very odd. Especially because, like, we're kind of in that industry, but kind of not, and don't take it like that serious. Like, here we are talking about that movie. We don't take it as seriously. Yeah, it's strange. But, like, but we have to bring the contest back, is what I'm saying. And didn't we say we should open it up to the public? Mm. How do we do that? We, we were supposed to figure out how to do that, and we have yet to do that. But uh, don't you I'm just like, it that zero is a good idea. Uh, Don't you just tweet? Can't we just like tweet out the link, and then it fills, and the winner like puts in the chat. Or like email Sosa or something. But how do we hold them to? We can't force people to watch the movie and give us like a book report. Like how do we? How do we hold? No, them just to who wants no. to come along for the ride? They pick the okay. movie, and we still have to go through with it. Are they jerks like me, or are they kind like Rich? That's the question. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll definitely make it work. We want week one. We'll run the four man. Yes. Okay, with producer Steve, you're talking about. Or yeah, with, yes. with nobody from chat, we'll kind of figure out as far as the chat goes. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to week two and. Yeah, you know how there's a such thing, John. John, like you gave us, I think it was you that gave us, um, Jesus, the remake. No, no. Okay, I'm thinking of like good bad movies. Like that was just a bad bad movie, but it was like really really bad that it was kind of funny in some moments. But like the Adam Sandler movie where he went to prison, that was the remake. That was a oh bad movie. longest yard, kind of yeah, entertaining. Like, still, I still think it's yeah. Fun. It's I, that's kind of where I see two for the money. Uh, and again, like a sports gambling movie, and it just reminds me of watching like the. Those like half hour infomercials when I was a kid, like watching these people try to sell. This is my, you know, lock of the century. You know, it's, it's kind of becomes a, you've seen that before. You, I'm sure you've seen Spook before. You, you also gave us Sideways and that movie speaks to me. Uh, I had never seen it before then and it's my kind of movie. So yes, it was fun last year. Not drinking Merlot. Yeah. That, that director uh, has, a, has a new movie coming out with Giamatti again. Uh, no. That's on oh. its way. I think this fall, it's almost out. I think, I think it's about to be out. I'm looking forward to it. That's Alexander Payne, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. And Giamatti is the lead again in this one. There you go. Giamatti is super, super so they're solid. Hooking, they're hooking back up. Give the people the socials, Rich. Uh, I mean, they're here for 95 minutes or so for all the NFL content. A little bit of nonsense at the back end. I assume they know. I assume they're following. But it is week one. We probably picked up some a few new people here and there. Let them know uh, where you're at, where they can get your content. Let them know where they can follow you on all the socials. Yeah, absolutely. At Lord Reeves on Twitter. I have already put out the week one worksheet. So, I mean, if you want to check that out, we're, you know, obviously running, you know, early season promos, you can use save 40 for 40% off, you know, anything uh, on the site. Uh, if you are inclined to go and read a bunch of musings that I did not speak about here. John? At not Jay Daigle on Twitter. I've already put out the week one waiver column, which FFPC waivers ran tonight, I believe. So we're going to go check that out. 
Uh, if you're interested in that kind of content, then you can use that promo code for Rotor Grinders. And then also you could use the promo code Daigle at 444. That'll give you 25% off the rest of the year. It's not a monthly price. 25% off literally the rest of the year. One-time payment. That's it. And I will be in Vegas as of tomorrow morning because I have three more high-stakes drafts to do. I'll be Don't there take Thursday. Cooper Cup. I'll be Thursday through Saturday. Uh, I may take Cooper Cup in the fifth round if he falls there, Rich. Uh, I am playing for a million bucks. So we'll see. But if you see me, please shout me out. I'll buy you a drink. Ah, that is awesome. Uh, congratulations, man. Enjoy Vegas. I turned down a trip just a couple days ago. Somebody was offering to take me and uh, my brother's heading out there. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I probably can't go. I got to stick around for uh, work-wise. But uh, you enjoy yourself. That's going to be a lot of fun for sure. That was just, Rich. That was John. Oh, go ahead. You just leave Saturday. You have to, I mean, you have to do that. We have to do that for our job. There's zero chance of me being in Vegas on a football Sunday. There's too much going on. But you get in there for the last 48 hours, then get at your ass out on Saturday. Are you staying downtown? I was thinking about staying downtown, the place that, you know, with the, the ridiculous screens that are outside. Like nobody goes downtown. Everybody, goes, everybody stays in the, in the strip. But God, I can't remember the name of the, the new place that has the ridiculous like pool and all the, it, know, the big screens. It's not Park MGM, right? Is it something else? No, no, no. That's on the strip, Park MGM. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I should just ask you that off air. By the way, do want to mention the Roto Grinders, uh, our Sunday morning show is now 9 30. The ridiculous hour of 9 30 starts 9 30, takes you guys all the <laughs> way up the lock. Uh, I will be hosting that with uh, Bobby Gomes, two time millionaire winner, as well as Good luck. Uh, Tim. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, uh, I will be setting the alarm for sure and probably only on a couple hours sleep, but, uh, that I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm definitely looking forward to it. For Rich, for John, for producer Steve, we do appreciate you guys listening to week one of the NFL Pick 6 show. We're out of here. Oh! 